This is a Sunday talk by Todd Corbett titled Take Up Your Cross, recorded June 11, 2006, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. I'm going to start with a little quote by Jesus. He says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross day by day and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. He's giving us a message here. It's actually quite profound. He's telling us to deny ourselves, but you know, not in that psychological sense of turning away. Saying, deny yourself and take up your cross. The mystical interpretation of that would be stop trying to feel better. This is our problem. We want to feel better. Be aware of your cross. Be aware of your suffering. It's only through recognizing this movement to feel better for what it is that frees us from all of this spinning that we do. Self-absorption is our cross. We are obsessed with ourself, our sense of self, our neediness. This neediness is the suffering that the Buddha was talking about, this dissatisfaction that we have in our life that runs through everything moment to moment. Lama Yeshi, a Tibetan Lama, says, Self-cherishing is the cause of all misery and dissatisfaction. So, for us here, doing spiritual practice, suffering is the feedback mechanism that leads back to our sense of self. Wherever we find suffering... That is self. That is the sense of self. That is the self needing things to be different than they are. So, usually our first question is, well, if it's that big of a problem, how do I get rid of this self-clinging? And what we find when we try is we realize that The movement to get rid of self-clinging is Mm self-clinging. So, you know, we go to the movies, we go skydiving, mountain climbing. We do all kinds of things in our life to get away from this sense of self, this sense of me needing something. But when we're all done with whatever we're doing, we have to find something else. We have to do it again because we are very uncomfortable just hanging out because there's this sense of something is wrong. Self-suffering is like a drunken stupor of being unaware of the self. It's like every time we start becoming aware of the self, just have another drink. So we think we're aware of the self, and that's part of the the problem that we have. We think we know the self. We're aware of the self. But thinking we are aware of the self, that too is the self. It's the story about what the self is, which keeps us from seeing what's actually there. It keeps us from seeing this conundrum, this problem, this spinning web of neediness. We need to be aware of this process. We need to be 
able to be aware of it not as an idea, but we need to be aware of it as it's happening, as it's arising, as it's beginning to play. We want to recognize just as it's starting to need something different, right there, that self. When Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross, he just means to be aware of yourself. Yourself, which is this suffering, this ongoing need for something more. And, and you know, we don't see it as suffering a lot of the time. We just, we like it, we think. But you see, we're just not aware. We're not noticing what's happening. We like it until it ends, until that particular episode ends, and then we're unsettled again. We're needing again. And then we find something fun to do. It's fun because we are forgetting the self in the midst of it. So we're essentially trading self-awareness for escapist entertainments. That's what we're doing. And that's what the self loves to do. Now, when we become aware of our true existence, when the self becomes aware of our true existence, there is a huge sense of anxiety that comes up for the self. Because we can see in that moment The self can see in that moment that it does not exist. When we're aware of it, truly aware of it, there is no self. And that frightens the self for good reason. It's terrifying. That is its death. And so immediately I begin to think about who I am. Start telling myself stories. Well, that's not right. I'm this person. I have this job. I like these things. I don't like these things. So we create this facade every time we see the truth of what we are. So there is some fear acting here. This fear of non-existence is driving this world to come into being. It is creating all of our needs, all of our desires, and all of our little fears and irritations. Fear constructs beliefs and images in the space of non-existence. So here we are when we recognize we don't exist. We don't like that. So we fill it up with all of these stories. Beliefs and images. We end up with complex social and psychological mechanisms which are laid down in this boundless awareness. We're uneasy and unsatisfied with all of this. The reason is that we always have to keep doing it. We can't just create a nice story and then let it go. As soon as we let it go, we begin to see this spacious nothingness that's here. And when we see that, of course, we have to fill it in. So it's a lot of work. It's this ongoing project. We have to keep manufacturing our sense of self. All of our little irritations and problems are just fragmentations of this one big fear of non-existence. But we've taken it and broken it down into all these little things. And they're not so bad. They're just little things. But it's through that process of breaking it down into these little things that we don't see the big one. We're hiding from it. So Christ says, take up your cross day by day, and follow me. He's just saying, stop ignoring your neediness. Stop ignoring your fears. Find them. 
Seek them out. Notice them. You know, it's sort of like all of these little things, it's like a little string that's tied to your non-existence, which is what you really want. You just don't know it. It's like a little string tied to it, and, you know, you have a little suffering, so just take that string, and you just start following it back to its source. Bring your attention into them fully. Sink into them. Let them be exactly as they are. So if we're feeling wonderful in our meditation, that's great. But then when we start feeling not wonderful, that's great too. We let that be there. We let it be there, and actually that's more useful to us than all the wonderful states, because this is the one that we usually won't look at. As soon as we start feeling bad, we start working out a strategy to manipulate it. So we want to head on over here, get away from that nasty thing. We don't like the thing that doesn't feel good. So, whenever you're feeling uncomfortable, you're just not so quick to fix it. We begin to see our attachments. They start coming out. We start seeing what they are. We begin to recognize their nature. They're there for a reason. Um, We'll see, I really prefer Mm, this thing over that thing, this kind of soup over that kind of soup, whatever it is. It, it just, it's a way of affirming who we are. And once we've got it in place, we can always come back to what we like and go, this is who I am. So the mother of all attachments is this original misunderstanding of separateness. It generates the sense of self. And basic the, the basic formula is, you know, it's like there's an equal sign, and over here it's I exist equals fear. Fear equals I exist. And we begin to see that more and more as we do these practices. <laughs> it, it, at first, we, we have a little argument with that. You know, this, that, that doesn't even make sense. But after a while, we begin to see that that is what we are recognizing when we stay with these things that we don't like. We are, we are actually recognizing that this not liking is, is one of those broken down versions of the big fear. And as we stay with them, you have less and less fear. You have more and more space. And you begin to notice the possibility of recognizing non-existence again. And we begin to notice this fear that starts to eke out of the woodwork. It's just sort of, it's, we sometimes feel we'll be doing our practice. I've had this experience years ago. I used to have this many times. I'd be just sitting there and I'd be really close. And all of a sudden I would just be on my feet, walking away, doing thinking of something else, just... Suddenly, I'm, I don't want to be there. I don't want to see this. And I would recognize only, you know, a few moments later, what has just happened. And I'd go back and I'd sit down and watch again. You know, if all of our attachments actually worked, we'd be, we'd be great, wonderful. We wouldn't need to do all these silly little exercises where we sit on our cushion and, and observe discomfort if they work. But they don't work. And the reason they don't work is that they are constantly changing. Everything that we hold as reality is constantly dissolving, constantly changing. Even the way we hold it, the way we see it, our moods, all of that. It's always changing too. So no matter how we're holding any 
sense of reality that we, something that we love, whatever, however we're holding it, it's gradually changing. And eventually it's just not what we thought it was. And so we have to keep rearranging our images to make them fit. This is the same old process of pumping it up. But our images do serve us as long as we're not attached to them. So the fact that we can sit here and have this conversation, it works perfectly. I have a name, you have a name, we all have personalities, we have things that we like and we don't like. Those things are fine. There's really nothing wrong with likes and dislikes. It's only when we become attached to them and we can't be happy if we get the things that we don't like. And we can't be happy if we don't get the things that we like. Now, a way of really seeing what it means to let go of attachments, and something that probably many in this room have experienced before, is, is the process of falling in love. <clears throat> How many people here have had, and it may have happened when you were like a teenager, who knows, even as a child, sometime in your life, this sense of being just falling in love, and suddenly the world is beautiful. How many people? Lots of people. It's a very common experience for us. In that moment of falling in love, we have a lover, whatever, we fall in love. Our whole world has fallen in love. We have stepped out of this paradigm, this fear <laughs> paradigm. And for this moment, or for usually it doesn't last that long, <laughs> but during this period when this is happening, everything is wonderful. It's not just our lover that's wonderful. We're just... We're, our boss is wonderful. All of our irritations, they cease to bug us. We don't care. They're special. They're okay. And whatever weird thing that our lover does, some weird little habit, um, it's fine. We love it. It's, it's beautiful. I remember hearing this story about the, and it's in some spiritual book, and I probably don't even remember it correctly, but the part I remember is it was, it was about uh, this couple. They had just fallen in love, and they were, it was kind of their dialogue about, she was talking about how cute he was, how he ate peas with a knife, and how endearing it was just to be with him when he was doing this. And it was just great, you know, she just, everything about him she loved. And she was just in bliss. But then, later on, there was a problem. Just one little problem. And from that one little problem, all kinds of problems. And suddenly, it was embarrassing to be with this guy, was he ate peas with a knife. <laughs> and... This is what happens. This is what happens. Suddenly, we're not in love anymore. We think we're in love, but now we're in love with our image of our lover. And that's not the same. First, when we were in love, it was, it was just love. Opening all the doors. We're in love. What matters other than this? So it's a glimpse into reality. It's seeing the truth. But very quickly, that reality falls away as we suddenly begin to remember we have to keep pumping this up. We'll see something. We'll suddenly realize that, oh, I'm here and I'm uncomfortable. And then we'll look at our lover and we'll go, you know, I wish he was just a little more loving or a little bit more helpful. 
and then one thing leads to another. And now we're just, we're hung on our images of our lover. We can't even find our true lover, the one that was there before, that inspired all of this bliss. We can't find them. We're lost in our stories, our images. But it's a glimpse. Now there's a more useful way of going, although this is very helpful because it shows us. It shows us that there is something. We may not have a clue as to how to get back to it. And as a matter of fact, the more we try to get back to that love thing, it's like we want our lover to be a certain way so that we can have that again. It's impossible. The more we try, the worse it gets. But meditation is a way. Meditation is a way of examining what is here as it is. Bringing attention to what's here without trying to have it be some particular way. We're just going to say, watch our breath. Watching our breath, when we first start doing it, I mean, there are periods where it's sort of like, where it's sort of wonderful initially, but usually it becomes kind of a drudgery for us. And the reason it's a drudgery is because of this th- very thing that, that I've been talking about. We, we don't really want to be with ourselves, And what we end up doing is we start, we're, we're trying to contrive this thing. We want, to, we want to be aware of our breath. And it's this, it's this little battle going on. Actually, a lot of what makes practice useful for us is the fact that we resist it. At least in the early parts of practice, in the early days of practice, it's just this big battle. We resist it. We, yeah, we, you know, we can sit for five minutes in a day, we're doing really good. And that's not very long, you know, five minutes. But once we glimpse into this, what, what's actually going on, we begin to see uh, attachments for what they are, then our meditations take on a whole different meaning. It's not so much about me. We just want to see what is, and we allow things to be more as they are. So we can begin to notice things in present moment awareness. Now, of course, there is only present moment awareness. There can't be anything but present moment awareness, but our minds spin and spin and spin, story after story, and we're thinking in terms of future and past, but this is all thought. But when we give it some space, suddenly we're in present moment awareness and we recognize it as such. And we recognize we can't be anywhere else. This is what we have. And in present moment awareness, we are capable, if if we allow our attention to stabilize and our mind to kind of settle down a little bit, allow space, we can notice suddenly pure naked sound before it is labeled. So we'll hear honk honk and it's just naked sound. And then we'll see the mind oh, somebody's blowing a horn. Now we, you know, we may see this a number of times before we see what's actually happening we begin to realize through present moment awareness that our ideas about what this is are not what this is. We are putting them on everything after the fact. We do it so quickly, we don't notice that we're even doing it. But through these practices, we begin to see that that is what's happening. And when we let the thoughts go, suddenly we are present for a mystery, a profound mystery. This world that we believe we see around us is not what we think. And we begin to realize that no matter how we think about it, it's not what we think. We can have all kinds of philosophical ideas about that. They don't touch it. 
we keep realizing the same thing. There is something here that is totally mysterious to the mind. The ego cannot go here. And so we begin to realize not knowing is our nature. We begin to see that we actually can't know what this is. All we can do is spin stories. We can see that the movement to understand what this is, is our way of covering it over so that we can't see that it is this mystery. We hide from this mystery. Now, it isn't that we want to become amnesic, that we want to not be able to think about things. We want to recognize thought as thought and not let thought claim to be what everything is, because it isn't. We can see that. And so thought is fine. It serves us. It functions. We can, we can play here. When we see without stories, we begin to recognize that which is unborn, that which never takes on a story. Even when it's making stories, it never takes on a story. Our problem is that we have trouble getting there because the self keeps popping up and going, Okay, I, I understand, I understand all that, but I'm still here. And uh, I like it, I, it, it feels good, you know, but I'm still here. And this gets to be, I know from my own experience, this, this is difficult. Because we'll see, we'll have these moments of clarity where we just, we look around and we go, it's all awareness. There's nothing here. And we'll even recognize that we're not here. That we are what is aware. That's it. But then we get up off our cushion and we start going out in the world and immediately we are locked into our stories again and we can't see. And it was like, what was it I saw when I was on my cushion? What was that? And we can't remember. And the reason we can't remember is because, well, we can't remember. It's a thought. What is necessary is for us to recognize what we are. Not just as an idea. We have to go beneath the ideas. And we need to do it not just when we're on our cushion, but through the course of our day. Meditation really helps us with this to a point. Preset practice very helpful for bringing it out into the world. We look at something, we're irritated by it, we begin to blame it, and we recognize thought. And that helps bring us back to this reality. But in my own experience, the one thing, and coupled with these meditations, which are very helpful, the one thing that really helps is to recognize that you are going to die. Now, this is a funny thing, because we've, we all know we're going to die, but that's not what I'm talking about. <clears throat> what I mean is, we need to remember something about what we are. We need to recognize our life is growing to an end, but not as an idea. We need to actually get this viscerally. We need to feel this. We need to recognize 
We don't have time to pretend anymore. Our life can end at any moment. Our mind always tells us, oh yes, but, you know, I'm going to, I've been here for 50 years, I'll be here for another 20 anyway. You see, you can drop dead at any moment. And everyone that drops dead in any moment is thinking that same thing. That, oh, I got lots of time. That's how it works. We think we have time. Literally, we don't have time. Literally. Doesn't matter if we're 15 years old. Doesn't matter if we're 80. It's the same. We don't have time. And there's a deep truth to this, which we see when we do our meditations. We recognize everything is arising and passing away in timelessness. Always. Arising, passing away. What remains? Timelessness remains. Eternity remains. So when we are able to recognize our death without saying, oh, I know that. For years, that's what I did. And it was only through seeing a number of people in my life personally dying, a number of them over a very short period of time, that I just it just clicked. Oh. I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm on my deathbed right now. I don't even have time to be on my deathbed. When we begin to see that we don't have time left, in that way, in that visceral way, we are falling headlong into the truth. The truth is showing itself in that moment. We are standing in the face of our death, acknowledging it. This is exactly that whole problem with existence and non-existence. The whole problem with me existing and then if I exist, then I cannot exist. So I have to keep pumping it up. Through recognizing your death, that whole thing falls away. If you really, really get there and you don't waylay the whole process by thinking about it, yes, I'm going to die, Yes, I'm going to die. That's not good enough. We have to go beneath the stories, beneath the ideas. When we do that, suddenly all of our fear is fearless. We have no hope. What is there hope for? You have to have time for hope. There's nothing to hope for. That's a huge relief. Still we are working, working with this. We're still sitting with our meditations, recognizing this, and we're opening. There's so much space now. Still a little me is floating around in there sometimes at this point, and for me it was for quite a while still. Um, every now and then getting really hung up about things. But more and more it was settling down, settling down. We begin to recognize that every movement to get things better, every movement to understand anything, is a movement in time. And we can see 
It is the story of my life. It's what I does. But it's not what I am. We begin to recognize what I am, which takes us out of being a someone, observing a something. We recognize all this is arising in me. And the whole idea of me is arising in this. So the idea of me is just another arising and passing away. Suddenly there is just no agenda. What would that agenda be based on? Everything is arising, passing away. Once in a while, the mind will just go, you know, this is great and everything, but I just, I don't know. I, it feels, it's worrisome. It's just, there's something worrisome about this. And so it'll start to flutter. It'll start to go. But that will be seen. That movement itself will be seen, recognized, by what you are. It will be seen not to be who you are, but it's just another expression. So there is all these little seductive voices that will come and say, okay, enough of this. Ah, it's really great and everything, but you know, I think I'm going to go get a movie, watch the movie, and then tomorrow morning I'm going to just get right back down into this. <laughs> Now, in that moment, that little voice comes up right there. Awareness recognizes that. It's just another one, arising and passing away. As soon as that thought is gone, there's just vast openness, spaciousness. So right there, is how we stay deluded, how the mind continues to come in and try to grab the, 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 um, the baton and run with it. But all that needs to happen here is just recognize that's just another one. That's this phenomena showing itself. It's not bad phenomena. It's just phenomena. It's wonderful. It's the dance. These are all expressions of what we are, of what this is. Expressions. And when we look around at the room, we look out at the world, it's all expressions of this. There's nothing wrong with our images. We see they are images. It's like a template laid over vastness. It's wonderful. Not a problem in it. So we are recognizing the deathless by becoming aware of our death. We move through that one. That's just a story. But you see, if we don't honor that story as something that we are holding, that is frightening us, then we aren't <laughs> utilizing it. Once we've gone through that, then we can look at that and recognize what it is. We can recognize that there is no death. There is death of images, death of stories. And that's happening constantly. Whatever we hold to be real now is there for a fleeting moment. And then there is a new one to take its place. We think it's the same one. But as we dwell in present moment consciousness, we begin to see that all forms are radiances of consciousness. They are arising and passing away moment to moment. You can see it very well with, with sound. Not so well with, say, this wall. It's not as clear to us. But as we begin to recognize 
present moment awareness, then as we look at the world, what we see is flow. We recognize what we are. If we are an object here, then that's an object there. Even what is flowing appears as an object to us. But when we recognize what we are, then through the eyes of the unborn, we see what is truly here. You see it? You can't help but see it. Any questions? Comments? Very soon. <clears throat> Normally this time of year, making all kinds of plans to do fun things because I don't work in the summer and you know I can go canoeing down the Green River in Utah and I can go hiking in France and I can go swim with the dolphins and all these things but I'm in this place where I can see clearly that those things are part of the fiction um, those things I could yes go do them but they will distract me they're distractions I almost cannot uh, make the plans to do it so I am sitting in this state of no plans, which is very strange for me. No plans to have fun and make it better and do things great. Um, <laughs> no plans to become a great writer, artist, filmmaker. <laughs> and it's miserable. I feel miserable in it. And I'm thinking, why? I can see clearly the fiction. I see it. There it is. And it's miserable. And I feel miserable. Like, why should I sit here in this and yet I can't move out of it? And why, why is it not bliss? Why is it misery? That misery is what you want to see. And the movement to try to get away from that, that is the misery. To be aware of the misery without any expectation of it to go away. You see, the expectation of it to go away is the, is the movement to keep spinning. To, to create our story about what is. So this whole process of being miserable, it's not misery. It feels like misery. Well, of course it does. That's because we're not fully aware of it. Whenever we, whenever we feel anything that we don't like, that we resist, we need to feel the resistance fully and allow it to be there. What the mind doesn't get is that when you fully accept misery. There's no more misery. It's gone. It has no place. Whenever we're resisting anything, if we cease to resist it, where's the resistance? We're doing it. It's not doing it. We're doing it. And as soon as we stop resisting, then there's no resistance. The whole thing about being miserable is based on me and my life. And my life wants to feel good. But when we recognize it's just that story thing, it's just playing, then we let that go, and then we just feel miserable. Every two years, for uh, 12 years, I had someone die. Someone close to me died. About six months after someone would die, I would start feeling just queasy, miserable. And what I found after a while was the only thing I could do with it was just be aware of it. I totally let it be there. And it just became this warmth. And then the mind got a hold of that. The next time it came, it was impossible because I wanted it to go away because I wanted its warmth. And this process of wanting something to go away is the reason it's there. As this, pro this progressed, it kept showing me this lesson over and over again in many different ways until it just sort of stopped, stopped playing. So I should just sit there with it? 
I would say be with it and let it be there. And when you find yourself resisting it, be aware of the, the movement to resist. Our life revolves around how we're miserable because we're not doing anything. And it becomes a big psychological story. And then at some point we realize, you know, I just need to get out there and do stuff. See, we haven't actually let go. It's sort of like coming to recognize that you are going to die cuts through that. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be dead in a week. Why am I worrying about this now? I'm going to die and I better get up and do something while there's still time. Because See, this is the way the mind operates. It's all stories. We're creating a whole lot of stories about my life. When you look at the whole period of time between the time that you were born and now, that was a long time, right? Where is it? Where? It's fleeting images. Now, the time between now and the time that you die, physically this body goes, it's the same amount of time. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. We can either get that experientially in our guts, or we can choose to think about it. And if we choose to think about it, we're going to think about it our whole life. The mind will never stop. That's the nature of the mind. It will always give you a new excuse, a new story. Um, could I get a response to that? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I think it, 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 it's, uh, you know, we have, we put labels on things. Like feeling miserable or misery is, is a label, uh, but there are activities that go on. We and we have words for them. Planning is one. You know, people make planning is a natural. It's just a natural phenomenon. It may not come out that way, but I mean, if you're impelled to do something, I would say, I would say, uh, go do it. Don't uh, it? Don't be looking at the motives. Just. Just do what it is, and if you can be aware from one moment to the next. I mean, it's not to sit down and be aware. Is it, it, it doesn't matter if you're up and down. It's just a matter of having enough stillness, which is very much lacking in our uh, in our society, to be able to to see what's going on. And when you you know when you don't have that stillness or you don't see, something brings you back to it. It actually, it's a very natural process. The thing is, if, if, what, if we can feel where we're at right now, however it is, without trying to change it, I mean, that is dying, isn't it? And we're, you know, that's, that's, that's just something... Dying is kind of a dirty word, but it's happening all the time. There was one teacher, uh, Goenka, who said, uh, uh, for, uh, you never stop uh, from the moment you, you're born, you never stop running. Uh, toward your toward your death. I mean, we don't we don't have to make a practice of observing, you know, of being miserable to observe it. That's what I wanted to say. Just you know, just watch things come and uh, come and go. Is kind of there. There's there isn't really anything, uh, but but uh, but this moment. Uh, but it's easy to say. It's a question. Of, it, it, is that if you if we don't if it's not my truth then it's just words that's what I'm going to say exactly <laughs> with practices a lot of times we have to focus on what we're about so if we take on a practice of of um, say being with our misery we take it on as a practice we do it for a while rather than splintering off and going to something else whatever it is that's there it's there to show us the truth just like what you were saying yes that's it. Abdullah. Um, you mentioned like we stay with things so they can go away. We experience them with the intention of them going away. Oh, yes. We, and I have done that suffering. for a long time. Until it was revealed to see that this intention or this idea of I'll be with things so they can go away is really a soup of judgment and resistance. Exactly. Together. And uh, I still do that, but to a lesser extent. But you're aware of the uh, fact. Exactly. 
So that's really what this is about. You want to see how that's happening, how that's being created. And then eventually we just get to the place where we just aren't drawn. We're not trying to get anything. We just, we're just hanging out with what is. We appreciate what is. We love what is. Somebody here had their hand up. Yeah. I, I was just saying that there's an old saying, Mis- misery is optional. Although we may not have a choice in the people are dying here yes. and here and here. Right. But to dwell in misery is, a, is the choice. There's actually a choice to let it go. Exactly. And allow. So misery is always optional. Exactly. It is true. It is true. Although when a person is suffering, we don't always know that. And the only way we find that out is by hanging out with what we've got and paying attention. See, our tendency a lot of times, and the reason that we're miserable, is we turn from our misery. We don't like it. We want to have a good time. And it's that process that spins this web of suffering because we aren't, we, we end up going into denial. And you know, whenever we deny what's happening, we tend to create something else that we can't see as well. And so we end up with a lot of shadows and weird psychological kind of stuff. But yes, a very good point. Good point. Yeah, Sylvia. <laughs> Speaking of which, my dilemma is uh, maybe. Are you saying the part of us that can recognize our impermanence is the deathless part? And I'm wondering if that part isn't the part that says, well, impermanence isn't such a big deal. Actually, actually the the part of us that recognizes the the impermanence is our, our self. When we do this process of examining impermanence, we see... This self is falling away. Well, who's seeing knows? Well, that when permanent in another way. Okay, but but self thinks it's seeing. You see, we have to start where we are. Right. If we have a self that's, that's suffering, then we wanna we wanna let that self do what the self does, and so we wanna just sort of uh, give it a little bit more attention, a little bit more awareness. So we give it a little bit of awareness. And it's dangerous for the self when it gets a little more awareness because it begins to see that it doesn't exist. But it doesn't... No, no, who's seeing? The self sees. The self begins to recognize that it doesn't exist. It's, and it's terrified of that, and so it starts spinning more webs. But then when... You see, ultimately, the only thing that is aware is the unborn. But when we're identified with the self, then that's... That's our story. That's who we think we are. And so the self needs to examine itself to recognize that it doesn't exist. That's the process. Yes, Joel. Can I throw my two cents? Please do. Uh, I think Sylvia's asking a very good question, and you're trying to give her an answer, but I would just try to be more precise and say the self thinks it sees. That's right. But actually the self never sees. Exactly. The self, uh, only awareness sees in this sense, and the self is just a thought. Thoughts cannot see. Right. But but the self, the, the thought, the self thinks it sees and wants to own the seeing. So for a while in that intermediary place you're talking about, there seems to be a self observing impermanence and saying, oh, I see what's going on. And exactly. there is seeing going on, but it isn't the self truly speaking. So is awareness not really concerned with death and dying or the temporal? Because awareness is rooted in the timeless? Uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's not, not concerned. That's, that's like a duality that makes it sound it's like a, you know, indifferent, doesn't care, and all that. It's it's concerned in the sense that the dancer uh, is concerned with its dance, his or her dance, loves the dance, but it's not concerned in the sense of trying to grasp on and preserve a particular gesture in the dance, which of course destroys the dance. If you if you could freeze some gesture, that would be the end of the dance. Uh, in that sense, the the suffering is gone. 
because there's no attempt to resist or hang on to any particular part of the dance. Or, so it's not concerned with hanging on to the dance, but it's certainly So concerned. I'm just wondering if that isn't the part of us that has trouble taking death seriously. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thought. That, that, that's kind of my question, and that's kind of been my, my question off and on, because I really don't know if I'm BSing myself, you know, to being myself, yeah. or, if, or if that's how it is. Jack de Repuche, you're the only one who can answer that, Sylvia, but Jack yes. de Repuche used to say, the idea that death is natural, everybody dies, it's not a big problem, I don't have to take it seriously, there's a great philosophy until you're dying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking it seriously. <laughs> so, I don't know, where do you, you know, you know, answer that. And taking on, recognizing that you don't have time, that you are on your deathbed now. Part of I, this is on our deathbed is on our deathbed. That's what my mind says. Yeah, part of you is on your deathbed, the part that's temporal and temporary. Our um, gut sense of who we are is really what I'm addressing here. Our ideas, our, our philosophies about who we are being, you know, part this and part that, don't help us. You know, if we're, um, for example, say we're, say we're driving our car and suddenly we see that we are about to go over an embankment and we are just, you know, we are, we're going and we know we're going to die. Now in that moment, there's no fear. No fear. It's over. We know it's over. We know we're going to hit this tree going 80 miles an hour. We know it. In that moment, fear will arise and then it's gone. And there is just clear consciousness. Because we have resolved the issue. It's done. We know. And it's that fear and that anxiety of not knowing in that way that generates all of our stories, all of our philosophies, everything. I'm this, I'm that. You see, there is no I'm this and I'm that. There is just clear, open, spacious consciousness that which is unborn. This is the problem with talking this way, and this is why the Zen folks don't talk much. I'm getting this. This last year of chattering about this stuff, I'm really starting to realize I make more problems sometimes for people by saying all this. Because then the mind takes it and starts spinning it and spinning it and spinning it, and then it's like, they come back at me with questions, and it's like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's gotten so complex, because what I'm speaking of here is so simple. It is the most simple thing. This struggling, miserable sense of self, it's never satisfied. The only time it is satisfied is when it dies. And it dies realizing that it is a, a facade, totally non-existent. I had an experience a couple of times when I was a young child of not having a self and looking at myself and saying, wow, that's where I am, this is what I'm in. Is that, do you think that that was my awareness that our children gradually drawn out of that awareness as we are given more and more rules about what is who we are? I run into a lot of people that have had that kind of... And it is. It is just consciousness recognizing. It's always here. We just cover it over with our stories. It's funny, when the fear... You know, in little children, a lot of times, that fear isn't so strongly in place. Depends, but a lot of times. Yeah. Jim. Yeah, it seems like so many people summarize their lives as having been all suffering or misery or something like that. And I do that. But when I really think about it on a day-to-day -day basis, it's almost like an alternating current. It's like there's some suffering, but there's some joy, suffering, joy. But it seems like the conclusion is that it was suffering. Why don't we conclude the other way? <laughs> Well, you know, I think that the sense of self has a... It's like 
if if everything's perfect, then we're moving out of you know our story of who we are. But when everything's kind of miserable, it's like we got something to work with, and we can't actually be comfortable with our sense of things being okay for very long. I mean, we can have really wonderful things happen, but then once it's over and it starts to die down, there's just nothing. There's nothingness. And so we have to come up with something to kind of fill in the space. And so if we're, you know, got some little thing that we can complain about to ourselves or some little new problem, oh, darn, I got that phone call last week. I probably should follow up on that. There's always something that we can do to kind of get going again on, on covering over our sense of, of non-existence. Our sense of non-existence frightens us only until we are right there in it, as it, and then we're not afraid. It's only when we begin to identify with being something that suddenly we now can lose. We can lose ourselves, and we're afraid of that. As we construct our whole world based on this little fear, we, we just keep keeping it on. And it just keeps, you know, the crust builds up. And after a while, we have this whole universe constructed on this one little misunderstanding. Yes? Well, back to, is it Mary Song's first question? Mary Song, yes. Um, and this joy, what came up in my feeling was that in the designing of her phenomenal life presence in this time and place that the work she does part of the year she chooses to place her phenomenon in an atmosphere where she can merge with the joyousness whether it's swimming with dolphins or climbing or whatever and that that yes it's true it's a temporary sensation but I know for myself, if I was swimming with a dolphin and merging with that energetic being, that it would be a sensation of the erasure of self in this larger being. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and this is the this is the whole thing that you know. It's not, when we talk about this kind of stuff, we're not poo pooing our wonderful experiences. We're talking about a mechanism of hiding from something. And so I think your point is is well taken. It, it, it's true. I mean, swimming with dolphins has got to be pretty, pretty beautiful. It, it is swimming with dolphins in the wild is mm-hmm. uh, yes. indescribable. But what I notice is that I come back home, and that experience is gone. Yes, I didn't get to hold on to that. Exactly. So now I can go back to my misery. <laughs> so, so really, and it's it's it's. You know, it sounds like we're poo-pooing the uh, experiences like going to the movies or rock climbing or parachuting, but we're not. We're saying that these are being used to hide from something. Now, once we're no longer hiding, those things all just have so much more depth and beauty to them. Swimming with the dolphins when we're no longer struggling within. Of course, swimming with the dolphins is a way of freeing our sense of self. You know, it's like falling in love. I was also very afraid of dying in that moment because I was far, far from shore and um, I thought, gee, I could just go under, I'll just follow them and I'll just die out here. Somebody here, Bill. Yeah, I was, uh, from personal experience, um, would you say that our nature is more awareness, just being aware? And this seems to work for me just to be aware (coughs) of whatever is coming up and to just be with it, not resist it and just allow it to be there. And I make plans, you know. In fact, for me, making the plans to do something sometimes is more fun than you know going out there and doing it. But yet, then recently I went on a trip, and there was a plan to do for a certain place, and it didn't work out. And it was okay that it didn't work out. And still, I enjoyed the trip. And I didn't. It wasn't a hindrance. I just allowed it to to be there, whatever it was. And it's like being aware, just yeah. observing whatever's going on, not getting caught up in the story. Right. Like you said, dropping the story. That seems to work pretty well. Yes, indeed. And that is it. I mean, that's what we are. We're awareness. Yes. <coughs> Pat. Uh, well, by the same token, but he's talking about planning and not working out. Well, you wouldn't just 
take a trip if, the, if a big storm was coming. I mean, we, you do have to kind of look ahead and plan and be a little bit logical in in your lifestyle to some degree. Exactly, you? exactly. The little cliche is something like um, learn from the past, live in the present, and plan for the future. It fits. It works. Then, I think we'll, we'll let this one be the last one here. Um, I'm sitting here, and I for some I think it's because my body's been pretty sick, so I've kind of detached a lot from everything and feeling. And I'm hearing these word the the misery and and then over here is bliss, and they're really big words. They're big, you know bad notions and uh, and then when you say it's all so simple and I think well really maybe the words that work for me are comfort and discomfort you know being uncomfortable as opposed to seeking comfort and um, and so I think for for me it just boils down to trying to develop an ongoing curiosity about my discomfort Yes. And if I can stay with that as a first principle, and just every time I notice discomfort, say, oh, this is interesting. Yes. Well, what's this about? Exactly. And this business of, you know, big, blown out kind of exaggerated expressions like misery, horrible. This is, you know, the ego has to, you know, it's part of its process. You know, we got to... We gotta, you know, embellish a little bit, and give it some real gut-wrenching meaning. But you're right; this natural curiosity, we just let it, we just let our awareness observe what's arising, pay attention. We see it. We see this sense of of discomfort, and we we feel the resistance. We just let that be there, and when we do that. When we allow it to be there, space just naturally opens up. We recognize it as it is, rather than as the mind is clinging to it as, demanding that it be. We want to be different, and that is our suffering. And we want things to be different than they are. So as we do our practices, really the, the guiding principle is to just let everything be exactly as it is, as it arises. And we will then see it arising and passing away. The sense of misery that we have, it's just arising and passing away. It may continue to come up, but then it's gone again. And it will we recognize it's pulsating. It's not constantly there. Living in present moment awareness with curiosity. Perfect. That's everything for this evening, for this morning. (laughs) Brain is about gone. Thank you. Thank you. What I want to know is how come everybody wants to swim with the dolphins, but nobody wants to slither with the snakes? (laughs) (laughs) Buzz with the (laughs) beard.